How was everybody? Did you have a good Thanksgiving? Good. Let me pray, and then uh, we will dive into our study. Lord, thank you for, again, another opportunity to be here together corporately and grow in the grace and knowledge of your word. Lord, help us to apply the truths that we learn every Sunday here and during the week as we read your word and we pray on it. We thank you for this church. We thank you for this class on unity and that I pray that we've all grown in. And I pray that we remove any distractions this morning as we focus on the lesson. We thank you for who you are, Lord, and who we are in you. Lord, that your sacrifice has atoned for our sins and that we have unity in that and that is the strongest that we can have. Uh, we thank you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. So this morning, hopefully everybody got a handout. If you don't, uh, I think there's some out in the info booth. So it's a good topic this morning. We're all here. So we all woke up early and came here on purpose, intentionally, um, for corporate worship, which is our topic this morning in unity in corporate worship. <clears throat> so one of the beautiful aspects of God's work in saving his church is that he calls all kinds of people into fellowship together. People from formal and traditional backgrounds and people with a more casual disposition as well. People who grew up listening to Bach or perhaps the Beatles or Biggie, all of them united to Christ, right? All different backgrounds. This can make also for some challenges as we gather together for worship. And let me ask you, how does corporate worship affect our unity? And that's kind of what we're addressing this morning. How does corporate worship affect our unity? It's not only today that worship has the potential to be divisive. When Jesus met, if you remember the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter four, she invited Christ, the living truth into a debate on worship. Should God's people worship in Jerusalem or on the twin mountains in, in Gezerim and Ebal in Samaria? Jesus responds by teaching her about what worship is. And he says, God is seeking worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. So she kind of missed the point. It's not the place where you worship, it's here. It's who you are and what you're worshiping daily. So what's our goal this morning? We can't tackle everything there is about worship, but as we near the end of a course um, of our life together as a church and the importance of our unity, we should consider how we can help each other toward this ultimate goal of worshiping Christ. In many ways, God glorifying worship is, more, is one of the sweetest and most valuable fruits of the unity we've been discussing. And at the same time, true worship will na uh, naturally foster unity. We'll begin by defining worship and then defining corporate worship. And then we'll look at four ways corporate worship has a unique role to play in our life here as a congregation. So first, a definition of worship. Worship is a rich concept in the Bible. There's no one main Greek word that 
corresponds to our English word worship. There's actually many, many different words in the Greek on what worship is. As we look through the New Testament in particular, it becomes clear that worship extends far beyond what goes on in a church Sunday morning. Hopefully that's not shocking to a lot of us. And certainly far beyond than, than praising him in form of a song. When people hear worship, generally that's the first thing that they go to is singing. And that's not wrong, but it's, it's much, much more than that. As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God, which is the heart of true worship. To the Romans, Paul writes also, therefore I urge you brothers in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, because why? This is your spiritual act of worship. Christ, the perfect lamb, is the one sufficient sacrifice for us. So the sacrifices we offer in the new covenant, aren't, they're not burnt offerings like in the Old Testament, but here it is. It's submission of every aspect of our lives to the glory and praise of our Lord. So then how do we define worship? Don't read it now, but on the back of your handouts, D.A. Carson has like a paragraph long explanation of what worship is. Read that after, because if you start reading it, you're going to miss some of the class. So a less detailed um, definition is, is David Peterson's definition of worship. And he says it's engaging with God on the terms that he proposes in the way that he alone makes possible. So as God prescribes. That includes all of life worship, our affections, our actions, our obedience, our relationships, and it includes corporate worship as well, our times of praising God and edifying one another together. So first of all, worship is God-centered. It's God-centered. This is a proper response to the majesty of God's character, a God who is worthy of our praise. Worship goes beyond simply knowing intellectually, remember, what God is like. It's not just a knowing of who he is, but it also takes delight in the perfection of his attributes. Worship is, secondly, Christ-centered. Our worship of God is only possible because of Christ's death and resurrection. Without Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf, we will not be able to enter into God's presence at all, and therefore have no hope for the image we have of heaven in the Bible. We see this Christ-centered worship very clearly in Revelation 5, when God is sitting on the throne holding a scroll that is sealed, and only the Lion of the tribe of Judah can open it, who is the Lamb. Only he is worthy. And we read that he, who is Christ, stands in the very center of the throne, one with God himself in unity. Christ is then praised as the one who is slain, who is worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. From that point on in the book of Revelation, we read worship is addressed to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb. So worship is Christ-centered. And lastly, worship is spirit-empowered. Before he teaches us to sing to one another, to give thanks in our hearts to God, Paul calls us in Ephesians 5.18 to be filled with the spirit Jesus teaches that the Spirit's ministry among us is one that brings Jesus glory. 
In John 16, 14, it says, the spirit will bring glory to me, meaning Christ, by taking from what is mine and making it known to you, revealing the truths of scripture to you. So what is a biblical understanding of worship? Let me, let me suggest three things here. One, it's a proper response to God himself. A proper response to God himself. Worship is something that is commanded of all. And it's a natural and right reaction to the glory of God. Secondly, it encompasses our entire lives. It is not simply the singing of praise to God. It involves both adoration and action. Worship doesn't end with what we say, but it includes what we do and how we do it and the heart as, as we do it. Thirdly, it is a delight in the beauty of God and Christ. It is not a delight in the experience of worship, which can be a trap. Our evangel in our evangelical culture, worship too often refers to the emotions that we have through the experience. Perhaps, you know, closing our eyes as we sing about God. And we can be more caught up in that experience than in the God who is supposed to be the origin of that experience. We should instead focus our hearts and minds on God and Christ in our worship as we do that. So if our worship has lots of passion, but no genuine thought, then, then that's not true worship. And then the opposite is also true. If worship is only thinking the right things with no intent to stir affections toward God, it's also false. So that's some of what worship is and what is not. What about corporate worship? The time when we gather together as a congregation publicly for the purpose of praising our Lord. Fortunately, God has given us guidance through scripture about what happens when a congregation gathers publicly for the purpose of worshiping God. In the New Testament, we see commands for the church, and here's a long list of them. It's to pray, to read scripture publicly, to listen to preaching and teaching, to baptize believers, share in the Lord's Supper, to encourage each other and praise God in song, and to give of their finances. 1 Corinthians 14, 26 is clear. It says every one of these things that we do together must be done for the edification or the strengthening of the church. So these are things that the New Testament instructs us to do when we gather either by command or example. But what about other things? Uh, what about maybe you really like going on hikes? It helps you see the glory of God as you go out and see his majestic creation. And what if every other week we decided as a church to go hiking on a Sunday morning rather to meet in this building? Would we, we would be assembling together as is commanded in, to us in Hebrews 10, and we would be worshiping God, but what, would that be corporate worship is the question. Would that be as God prescribed? It certainly wouldn't fit the normal pattern of what the Bible says and lays out to define what a church does together in the unique time when we meet for worship. And this leads us to an important theme in scripture that's worth mentioning. God has defined how we should approach him corporately. And so it is possible to offer wrong worship. Okay? God is infinite, all-wise, omniscient. We are finite and sinfully self-interested in our own glory. 
We can't know him unless he reveals himself to us. And we can't understand what worship will be pleasing to him unless he reveals that to us as well. And so the Bible makes very clear on how we should worship God, particularly when we worship him together in public. For example, the, the second commandment, God prohibits worship through images, making it clear that he alone regulates how he will be worshiped and served. The consequences of this principle become clear when the people build the golden calf. Probably it, it is intended to represent God, but that's not how we prescribed. But obviously not, it wasn't pleasing to the Lord. And later when Nadab and Abihu offered up, remember, the strange fire, the unauthorized fire to the Lord, a type of devotion contrary to the command of God, God strikes them dead. Jesus rejected the worship of the Pharisees, quoting from Isaiah, they worship me in vain. Their teachings are rules, but taught by men. So he is very clear on what not to do. Scripture is clear on the ways, is clear on the ways that we are to approach him when we gather publicly. God has done this so that our worship won't be confused with other religions or gods. He does it so that he will be blessed and he knows what is best for us. All this to say, when we consider corporate worship, we must understand that the Bible doesn't leave us free to improvise, but regulates the element of worship and the, the content of our worship. Of course, the forms of those elements of worship may change over time. In one generation, we may sing a cappella. In another, we may sing with a guitar and or a piano. One other item of, of note is corporate worship is, is public worship. It is time for the entire church to gather together when outsiders are invited and welcome to learn about the true God as we see in 1 Corinthians 14. Through their corporate worship, a congregation proclaims God to the watching world. So to sum up, corporate worship is gathering publicly as a church to engage with God according to his instructions in scripture, okay? One key implication of this is that at the center of our corporate worship is expositional preaching. So why is that? Because God's word and understanding what it says is the apex of engaging with God as he reveals himself to his people. Singing is, of course, part of our worship and is helpful in focusing our thoughts and our emotions to engage scripture. But the exposition of God's word is the centerpiece of our church gathering. This is why we pray God's word, we preach God's word, and we sing God's word. It's everything that we do. So having defined corporate worship, let's move to number four and consider this question. How do we maintain unity in corporate worship in spite of our diversity or preferences? Each of us have our own. So Philippians 2.2 tells us that as a church, we are to be like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. But one of the things that gives it real impact to the church's witness is diversity, isn't it? The fact that different sinners from different backgrounds choose to love each other because of the power of God that is working within us. And we know that different people will find different styles of corporate worship to be more or less emotionally and intellectually engaging. So how do we approach corporate worship when each one of us has our own preference? 
our own likes and dislikes with regard to forms of corporate worship like music or the style of the service. Well, in continuing in Philippians 2, if we read further, it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. We are called to submit to each other for the sake of Christ, to love each other and serve each other in this way, even as we do in so many other aspects of our church life. The reason I'm emphasizing this point is because so often today, so often we encounter a strange contradiction in church. Corporate worship is the one time we are most self-consciously focusing our attention as a body to the glory of God. And yet so often, corporate worship is the aspect of a church's life that prompts the most selfishness. So that shouldn't be the case. If we thought of corporate worship as something that involves just me and Jesus, then we'll certainly be disappointed if it's not our preferred style, won't we? We need to think of corporate worship as something that we do together as a family in love for each other and for God. And how do we learn to think this way? So one thing that can help is approaching Sunday morning with a sense of our desperate need for him. Worship isn't fundamentally about me. It's not fundamentally about you. If we have that mindset, it's for the family that we have here. It's a corporate mindset. It's about seeing and savoring God together with the community of, of faith. Let's not come hungry to have our personal preferences met, but hungry for a deeper connection to our church community and understanding of our great God. If you want to sow disunity, be selfish, right? If you want to sow unity, serve one another, serve sacrificially, love one another, Think of others more important than yourselves, as Scripture prescribes. Amen? So four thoughts of what this might look like in the church. First is sacrifice. Corporate worship is glorifying to God because we do it together. And this involves sacrifice, like so many other areas in our life as a church. Second is growth. We need to remember that in love, we can learn to use worship styles and traditions that at first might seem foreign to grow in our appreciation for them. Third, be considerate. We should keep in mind the importance of not doing things that would distract others in the congregation from worshiping. And that involves everything to possibly maybe what we wear to how we interact with others during the service, um, including our children. Fourth is honesty. It can only help our unity if we're honest about a few things here. For one, our church does have a particular culture here. You can't escape that. We worship in English. So many of our hymns are American or English or European. We've tried to prioritize a simple accompaniment so the sound of people's voices is the most prominent thing because we're singing scripture. We value songs with good words from many different centuries. So much of our music sometimes feels dated because it's so old. 
it's good to be honest about that. And also is uh, good to honestly recognize that this means that some people are going to have a harder time adjusting than others. For some, it feels comfortable like grandma's church, but for others, it feels like maybe church on Mars, right? It's just like, what are we doing here? We love each other well if we're aware if some people may have to sacrifice their preferences a little bit more. And if we listen to them as they deal with that and we pray for them. Um, yeah, having complaints about how the music is played or how it's not played or how, why, why do we pray so much during service. Everybody, we've, we've received a lot of these complaints, which to us, it seems straightforward, um, but we have to also come alongside one another and realize that some people have harder times worshiping corporately together because they're used to one way or they prefer one way. So we have to come alongside them and have grace and be like, this is why, because the word is our focus. We sing the word, we pray the word, we read the word, we preach the word. They're like, why is so much Bible? Well, that's why we're here, right? It, why, why, do we, why do you not have guitar solos? Because that's not why we're here, right? <laughs> so some people really like the showy, flashy music, but that's not our culture here, amen? So some people come from all different aspects in worship. So is there any questions before I move on to number five? Cool. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, our culture here, yeah, we, you can clap. Is the answer is yes? Yeah, you got, you got, you got to stomp your foot. Yeah. Yeah. It's totally fine. Absolutely. We don't frown on that. It's just, again, it's the culture here is the church. Yeah. Yeah. You're not, we, we don't bring rice shakers in here for noise, you know, during, during our singing. Yeah. Um, but again, it is fine. And it's just our culture here. We, we just hands in pockets or we do the you know, or, or the, the pocket, you know, we're, you know, you're doing this, but, um, it's totally fine. And uh, we, I think we tried clapping once on like a Sunday evening and it was, it was pretty bad. It was interesting, but we can work on it. <laughs> uh, any other questions? All right. So we've talked about how we can work toward unity in our corporate worship. And so with the remainder of our time, I'd like to discuss four ways that our corporate worship helps our unity and our witness towards one another in the world. So first, corporate worship is an opportunity to display the unity that we have in Christ. It's wonderful when we can sit down on our own in the morning and praise God for some facet of his character during our devotional times. But there's something special in gathering publicly and praising God together. Is that true? Absolutely. It's what we're here for. It's what we look forward to, hopefully, um, Sunday mornings. As Peter reminds us, that's one of the reasons God has brought Jew and Gentile together into the church. Now he says, you are a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. That's 1 Peter 2.9. 
This is why Jesus is so insistent that we deal with areas of disunity before we worship. He says in the Sermon on the Mount, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and remember that your brother has something against you, what should you do? Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. That's from Matthew 5. Paul echoes this teaching when he discusses the Lord's Supper. He says, for anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. So what does it mean to not recognize the body of the Lord? Well, Paul has been talking about how the Corinthians celebrate the Lord's Supper in disunity, humiliating the poor among them. The body of Christ he refers to is the church. Unity must be present if we are to offer a pleasing sacrifice to the God, to our God. And when unity is present, corporate worship is a beautiful outpouring of God's glory. So then we should regularly, not just in preparation for the Lord's Supper, but regularly examine our relationships with one another as well as with God, constantly reconciling with one another. Amen? Secondly, one of the great advantages we have as we worship together as a church is that we can help each other grasp the glorious beauty of our God and help each other express our response in joyful praise and thanksgiving. Corporate worship then provides a platform on which we can serve one another. This happens in the structure of our worship services. As we bring musicians together to help us sing, as men who have studied hard to prepare a message on God's word, and as our voices and expressions encourage each other throughout the service. The author of Hebrews tells us to consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And that certainly includes helping each other worship here on Sunday mornings. Now, aside from what I just mentioned, what are ways in which we can help each other worship God when we gather together as a congregation here? So I'll ask you that question. How can you help others worship Sunday mornings? It could be many different things. There's lots of answers out there. Yes, ma'am. Yes, so the answer was sing wholeheartedly, sing louder um, with one another. Um, that is a great answer. So a lot of us aren't very confident in our voices. Um, amen. And so that, and we'll get to that because that's another answer. Um, but singing loud, loud, loudly, louder, um, instead of kind of the, right? Because you don't want to project. But projecting your voice does help others worship. And it helps them project their voice as well. So it encourages the body to sing when you sing. Even if you're sitting by yourself over here and there's nobody around you for, you know, five or ten seats, sing loud. That is a great way to encourage others. What else? Oh, an Amen. An amen during the service. Do not be afraid to give a hearty amen while the men up here are preaching. Because it is encouraging that you're listening, that we know. Because we can be up here for 45 minutes just 
seems like we're talking to a brick wall. It, no, and I'm not saying the way it is. It's just the way it seems. And it's just like, and when someone says amen, I'm like, hey, someone's listening. And you're like, it's encouraging. You're like, yes. And then it, it helps us. It ministers to the man in the pulpit. Um, so giving a hearty amen or that's right, you know, and, and just like praise God. It, it, that's all very encouraging to each other. And if you say it here and someone over here is kind of like dilly-dallying, they'll be like, why did he say amen? And it, it helps them engage too. So, so don't be afraid to do that. What else? Yes, great answer. Acknowledging and greeting one another. Um, even people that you don't know. Oh no, but it helps them grow. It helps them feel welcome if they're new. Um, but saying hi to the people around you, seeing how they're doing genuinely. Um, seeing how you can pray for one another, talking, yes, but engaging the, the people around you, greeting them. There's, there's, a, few, there's a few others we should talk about. So um, one is, I th we're all generally pretty good, but cell phones, right? Silencing cell phones that helps people not be distracted during worship. What are some others? What about reading the text before Sunday? Yes? Yeah, that's a good one. Reading the text and knowing what's going to be preached. So maybe doing a small study on your own so you can be engaged and seeing if maybe you're on the right track or the preacher's way off track. How about that? You know, that's, that's holding each other accountable. It's like, I don't think that's what the word says, and you won't know that unless you study it. Or maybe you're mistaken, then you can have a great conversation with the, with the preacher afterwards and be like, oh, I didn't even see that. Um, so studying the word or reading it before Sunday. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah, so the, what Joyce said is knowing the songs before Sunday, um, knowing the words and being able to know the melody and the singing so you can better sing and be more focused in what you're singing on Sundays, which is a, that's absolutely, and that is why the emails come out. So good job. And uh, that's why the emails come out preparing for Sunday uh, for our church is so you can know the scripture and the text that's being preached and the songs that are going to be sung as well. Yes, ma'am. Amen. So that devotional that we gave at the members meeting, Sunday Matters, um, doing that on Sunday, whether it's just you and your wife or just yourself or with your family, um, that is a great way to to prepare your heart and mind to receive God's word on Sunday. Yes, ma'am. That's sweet. Yeah, so... Which, 
Yeah, that's great. So what Joy said is sending an encouraging text uh, Sunday morning to other members saying, hey, looking forward to seeing you. Can't wait to worship with you or, you know, worship our Lord with you. Um, you know, that's, that's always great. And being like, man, maybe someone may have been on the fence that morning. And they're like, now nah, I'm going. Yeah. Yeah. To know that you're loved, right? That someone's thinking about you. That's all important. Um, and then, of course, talking about the sermon afterwards, helping each other worship after the sermon's preached, um, making that our focus as well. Um, not having loud conversations during service. You know, we, we've all kind of heard that. I can, you know, sit over here, but I can hear a conversation over there, right? During the sermon, I'm like, what's going on? You know, and Definitely, I get distracted easily, which is why we sit in the front. Um, so, <laughs> um, but if something's happening, I'm like this, right? Uh, what coming early, uh, being prepared, um, sitting maybe closer, may, you know, it, it, maybe in the middle of the rows, or we can we can get closer to the pulpit. It's, it's not poisonous, um, you know. Maybe changing our seats up and and getting to know other people. Um, I know that there's, there's not assigned seating in the church. I know it seems like that because we're all creatures of habit. <laughs> uh, we get so comfortable. Um, but all these things, and this is all to bring it back, this all points us to help us worship here on Sunday mornings and how we can encourage each other. Um, all of these things are great answers. Um, so, number three. Corporate worship is an opportunity for us to edify one another. You might be somewhat surprised to discover in Scripture that God isn't the only one we address during times of corporate worship. Paul writes to the Ephesians, for example, here, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, in singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. When we sing Sunday morning or read Scripture or pray, we are communicating not only to God, but also to one another. So why is that important? Because we need to be reminded of so many great truths in Scripture, don't we? Themes that we often return to in our times of corporate worship. The God that created us, that he's perfectly just, that we have sinned against him and that Jesus died as our substitute on the cross. We hear these truths from, from the sermon, but it helps our hearts to hear them also from the singing voices and engaged faces of our brothers and sisters around us. Amen? So let's, let me share a few suggestions, particularly in the area of singing and how we can use our songs to edify one another. Uh, meditate on the meaning of the words you sing and think about not only how those truths apply to you, but also apply to others around you in the church. Secondly, in ways that are natural and comfortable for you and not disturbing to others, consider how your body language can help encourage others while you sing, perhaps smiling at certain sections in the song, letting it affect you, and then looking around from time to time and being like, amen, like as you sing and you're encouraging one another during the singing time. Um, sing loud so we can hear one another. I sing off key, um, it's not on purpose, but I do my best, I love singing, and um, it's also maybe a reason I sit in the front row and I get all the people up here off key, but, uh, <laughs> um, but sing loudly, 
and, and uh, also strive to sing as part of the whole as well. We don't want to be the individual in the, the congregation that's taking away from the, the worship service. Amen. Um, even if you're not musical, listen to, uh, to how others are singing and blend your voices to theirs. Um, we, we don't want a solo artist in the congregation. Uh, listening to others is a great way to learn the songs and improve your own singing as well. Amen. And fourthly, finally, corporate worship offers us a taste of what heaven will be like. Yes, yes, and yes. Heaven is the place where the full community of God's people will dwell with him forever, praising his name and delighting in his glory. It's a small glimpse here on earth of what we're going to be doing for eternity. And that's in, in, it's why we meet on Sunday mornings. It's a slice of heaven. Corporate worship, then, is it's just a snapshot of that experience that we can appreciate in this life. And the author of Hebrews paints a beautiful picture in chapter 12. It says, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. That's what we're doing. We're coming all together. And when we come together in worship on Sunday morning, it is a small glimpse of the glory of that final congregation in heaven. And that's when heaven feels most real, when we esteem the things of God as most valuable. We need the picture that corporate worship paints of heaven because despite the brokenness of this world, heaven is our true home. In heaven, we will be perfectly united with Christ. Think about that and what that means. It's having a kingdom perspective, looking forward to what will be ours. That's our hope. So the unity we experience while we worship corporately in this life points us forward to the ultimate unity we will know in him on that day. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for unity in this congregation. We thank you for unity in this church and the unity that we have because of scripture, because of Christ, because of who you are and who we are in you. I pray that we continually stand on the foundation of the gospel and the work that Christ has done for us. Help us trust in the truths of scripture, Lord, that we can find peace and rest in you during all times, that we know that forgiveness is ours when we come to you, that we can come to the throne of grace Lord, that you give us mercy new every morning. Lord, these are all truths. These are all promises that you have given us. Help us take advantage of them. Help us trust in them. Help them form our lives as who we are as Christians. Lord, we love you and we thank you for saving us, for, for drawing us near to you. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen.